Hello, friends. Hello, brothers. This is Justin with Masonic Improvement with the latest episode of Faces of Freemasonry. I am really excited about today's guest. Um, I, before I get further into introducing him, however, I do want to uh, just throw in my usual disclaimer. Neither myself nor my, uh, my guest uh, have opinions that are representative of our lodges or our grand lodges. Uh, our opinions are our own. So, uh, keep, you know, keep your pitch, your pitchforks down. They'll come after us. Uh, that said, I have on, on the show today, who I, a brother who I consider to be one of the most interesting men in Texas Freemasonry. Uh, brother, why don't you just go ahead and introduce yourself? Uh, I'm, uh, Robert Marshall and I am the, uh, very much oversold, uh, uh, one of the most interesting men in Texas history. <laughs> oh, so uh, Robert, um, what? Uh, tell tell me a little bit about your your Masonic journey before we really get into the weeds here. I, I'm interested in learning, you know, when you joined and kind of what got you into the fraternity. Uh, well, let's see. My uh, my first conscious inkling of masonry existing was when I was a kid. Uh, my older brother broke his hip off uh, in a football game. And uh, uh, we were not an extremely wealthy family. I had four brothers and a, and, and a cousin that was living with us. Uh, a dad who uh, was working as a manual laborer and, and uh, a mom who I, I think at the time might have been working at a gas station. So like I said, not, not extremely wealthy, uh, major injury, uh, and uh, certainly no health insurance. So it was, a, it was a pretty nasty ordeal. I think three or four different uh, doctors uh, told my father that his son would never walk again. Uh, he was wow. about 13 years old at the time. And um, my great-grandfather, uh, who was a member of Georgia and Denton Lodge uh, here in Waco, uh, uh, suggested uh that they t take my brother to the scottish Rite hospital in dallas and uh and they did which that was still in, in the time when it was expected that you were sponsored by mason uh, i i assume my great-grandfather uh did the sponsoring um and uh it, it was it was slow it was painful uh uh, but he did eventually walk again uh to the extent that uh, years later when i i was uh fighting uh, professionally and uh, uh, competing in bodybuilding, uh, my brother was right there at my side uh, fighting with me and uh, competing in bodybuilding as well and has uh, made a career himself uh, as a manual laborer. Uh, pretty pretty impressive for someone who was told he'd never walk again. Definitely. Um, and that's that was all because of the Scottish Rite. So that was my first conscious inkling. Um, uh, when my great-grandmother passed away, I, I was very close to my great-grandparents. And uh, uh, when she passed away, I inherited my uh, great-grandfather's uh, bicentennial furniture. And in the, the one of the dressers, that had a secret rotating drawer that had uh, his Masonic coins, his Scottish Rite patent. Uh, Isn't that kind of where you would expect to find Masonic stuff? You know, it's yeah. gotta be, it, it should be in something secret, right? Yeah, so yeah, like yeah. or something. Sorry, go ahead though. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. It, it, it was kind of that 
uh, of course that's where you found it. <laughs> and uh, so that, that got me uh, uh, consciously interested, uh, you know, and, um, and then uh, even uh, growing on that, um, I, uh, with that initial interest, uh, as well as, to be honest, I, I mean, I'm 30 years old, so National Treasure, uh, that did make an impact on me. Uh, it, it did uh, uh, stir my interest as well, uh, generally, in, in Freemasonry. Uh, and uh, uh, I got online, like most millennials, Googled uh, Masonic Lodges uh, near me, and uh, uh, I actually don't remember what I landed on, but one way or another, I ended up getting sent to uh, an office at Baylor because a member of uh, Waco Lodge was working there at the time. Uh, and, and so that's what connected me to Waco Lodge itself. Mm -hmm. um, and af as I was going through the degrees, there were moments of, oh, okay. Uh, flashback to seven-ish years old and uh, there were three pomegranate trees in the front yard of my great grandfather's house uh, that, that I mostly grew up in. And uh, a neighbor kid had come and gotten one of our pomegranates and was eating it one summer. And I just lost it. I was a selfish little brat and uh, uh, didn't think the kid had any business eating our pomegranates. And uh, uh, my great grandfather pulled me aside and told me the importance of understanding, you know, we have all these pomegranates uh, you're upset that, uh, that kid had one of them now, uh, you don't understand, uh, what it means, uh, to have plenty. And, uh, he, he talked <laughs> about it in a way, uh, that just the use of the word was odd, uh, yeah. odd enough that it, it really imprinted on me as a seven-year-old. And so that 11 years later, as I go through the degree, I was like, Oh, okay. Uh, there was also, uh, a pencil etching of uh, Chalk Mountain Lodge on the wall in his house. And he told me the story as a kid of uh, Chalk Mountain Lodge. How are you, you've been out there, I'm sure. Uh, I've heard of it. I haven't made it out there. It's okay. Uh, uh, it's, uh, do you know the story? I don't think I even know the story. No, I've seen pictures of it. I mean, it's yeah, cool looking. It, it's, it's very cool looking. I agree. Uh, so uh, it's just a great stubborn old Mason story. Um, they call it the lodge that wouldn't die. And that's what my great grandfather called it in, in the story to me before I even really understood what a lodge was. But um, they, I, I might get some of the details wrong, but generally what happened was uh, like many lodges, uh, they had a two story building. Uh, they uh, rented out the front, uh, the first floor to a store owner. And uh, uh, they eventually actually even sold it to the, store owner on the first floor so that they only owned the second floor and that was fine until they no longer got along with the store owner downstairs and so they were in this awkward situation of not being able to get to the lodge room they owned because it was on top of a first floor that was owned by someone who didn't like them anymore mm -hmm. uh, so a few of the lodge brothers showed up in the middle of the night and literally sawed their lodge room off the top of this building and moved it to where it is now and attached it to a new a new building and so if you go to chalk mountain lodge today you're, you're actually sitting in the original lodge room in a different location on top of a different building yeah uh, i didn't know that 
yeah, it's pretty unique. Uh, so uh, that story was just really cool to me as a kid. Uh, the pencil etching itself was done uh, by a woman who uh, fell on hard, her, her and her husband fell on hard times during the depression and Chalk Mountain Lodge sponsored, uh, I think two of her sons uh, into being adopted uh, or you know accepted into the Masonic Home and School where they were raised. Mm-hmm. And uh, the only she was an artist, and the only way she could really thank the lodge was by drawing their lodge for them, and that's that's what the pencil etching on my uh, uh, Papa's wall was. Uh, so uh, th- those are those are my earliest, I guess, exposures to the craft. Oh, that's whatever happened to that that drawing? I've got it. It's actually here. If you want me to go get it. Yeah, if, yeah. Sometime. Uh, yeah. Why don't you go ahead and grab it? You can know where it's at real quick. I'd be yeah. kind of interested to see what it looks like. Absolutely. I'll be right back. Well, uh, I guess I don't know where it is. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. No, it's uh, all good. No. Uh, so this, I mean, this, this is actually the secretary office here at the lodge. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing uh, one of the brethren was uh, redecorating or something and moved it somewhere. I don't well, know. Hopefully, when things get back to normal, I could. Uh, I can come visit again, and maybe we'll find it. I like. Yeah, it. yeah, definitely. Yeah, come okay. see it in person. That'll be cool. Yeah. Already. Cool. So, um, you, you, we talked about a little bit, kind of what brought you to the fraternity. You know, what what really piqued your interest from a young age? And you said you're 30 now. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So, what age did you uh, petition to become a Mason? I was 18. 18. All right. Very cool. So, you've been doing it a while, and Joe, you're you're a past master at Waco. Is that right? And now you're, yep. now you're, you're still secretary. Is that right? Yep. Very cool. Um, so I, before we go further, something really piqued my interest and you kind of hinted at something like this before and it really raised my eyebrows. So you used to do professional fighting. Is that right? Yeah. You got to pay for college somehow. <laughs> so what did you do? Is it like MMA or what? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I grew up boxing, uh, picked up jujitsu in high school, uh, and, uh, several years later added, uh, Aikido and, and Jeet Kune Do. Mm-hmm. Uh, my fighting, uh, MMA career was already rolling, uh, by the time I picked up the latter two, uh, I guess rolling's the right word since I was doing jujitsu, but, uh, I had started like a, a lot of fighters, uh, start and probably wouldn't, uh, tell you, uh, illegally, uh, underground fights uh some of them as legit and up and up and uh handled as as well as uh legal fights and some of them not uh, uh some pretty interesting uh memories uh but uh you know it, it was decent money i had uh when i was 19 i uh i was starting my own business and uh, I had three jobs. I was a full-time student at Baylor's Honors College uh, and, and fighting. And uh, I mean, just, I, I really, I enjoyed it. It's, it's an addictive thing to do. So don't get me wrong. I, I don't want to make it sound like, oh, I had to do it. Uh, but the money was the big driver. Uh, and um, uh, yeah, I mean, I was... I, I was so br- I put all the money I had into school slash my business. So I, I actually lived in a parking garage for uh, about six months. 
Wow. In a, a parking garage over at Baylor named after Joseph Spate, who was one of the original members of the Grand Lodge of Texas Committee on Work and uh, a past master of my lodge. Um, and uh, after about six months, the, the business was doing well enough. I was able to get a, a cheap little apartment and uh, things kind of picked up from there. Yeah. Uh, but I kept fighting for a couple of years. It wasn't until I, I was actually uh, uh, finished with my bachelor's degree and uh, starting a master's uh, that uh, I was at a tournament and uh, uh, Matt Hughes, a pretty well-known fighter, uh, uh, who was there, you know, kind of a guest coach type of thing, um, uh, comes over and, and uh, asked, uh, hey, is it true you've got a college degree? I was like, uh, yeah. Uh, what's it in? And told him, why the hell are you doing this? And it was a weird moment for me because, you know, here's a guy who was literally the best in the world. Uh -huh. And, uh, uh, and he's asking me why? Why am I still? Why? Why? Why fight? Uh, and I, you know, I wasn't the best in the world, but I wasn't bad either. I was, I was doing pretty well. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you know, I was I was just baffled. And, and uh, was it just something you hadn't thought about? Yeah, I, I just really hadn't. You know, uh, I, I think early on, sure, I, I told myself, like I said, it was just for money. I'm just going to do it for money. And then uh, once you get into it, it's hard to quit. Uh -huh. uh, at the time, I was already diagnosed with uh, post-concussive syndrome, uh, which for me mostly presented with uh, really bad migraines and uh, weird memory problems. So uh, the migraines have gotten better over the years, but uh, the memory problems are still tricky. Uh, that surprises me. Well, so the, the reason I say it's weird is... If I really try to memorize something, I'm still good to go. Mm -hmm. I, I, I can I can actively memorize things, uh, but uh, casual things, you know, driving across town to do something, call somebody, have a conversation. I can it uh, the moment the phone hangs up or I'm near where I'm driving to, I'll forget. Oh, I see. Uh, and uh, so I've I've called people back and tried to have the exact same conversation we just had. Uh, you know, stuff like that. Is it like uh, you I, just, so you, did you forget the conversation or is it just, you forget, you just, you just forget, forget your call, kind of, I guess. Kind of both. Wow. Uh, and uh, uh, so that, that kind of stuff was already starting. And, uh, and then he tells me, look, man, you know, you, you don't have to do this. Mm -hmm. you, you can make uh, money other ways. You'll probably make better money uh, doing, you know, go, teaching or whatever, go, go work for some business or, um, and, uh, uh, and then he told me that most of his friends, uh, uh, you know, didn't know who he was anymore or, uh, forgot their kids' names. And, and it just really hit me hard. Cause like I said, it was kind of already started for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that was it. Uh, I, I, I stopped then, uh, about two years later, I did get an offer to do another fight and I did it. And, uh, uh that was that. And that was, that was, I have never uh, picked it up again. Man, so that that's 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 why I go back to the to the, the interesting, most interesting man in Texas. You know, because you're you're for those of you who have not talked to Robert, Robert is a very educated man, and he has read probably more Masonic books than than a huge proportion of Masons, and he could tell you what's in these books. He's 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 so sharp, 
and then you find out that he used to do these fights and everything on the enemy. You are a very well-rounded guy, Robert. It's very interesting. Uh, I think you have a much more generous take on it than most people do, but I maybe, appreciate it. Maybe. I, well, don't, don't burst my bubble then, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I wanted to talk a little bit because – so I, I've been to Waco Lodge, and I've been to some of the degrees there. And you guys do a very good job. I mean, the, the presentation's good. I won't go into detail, but y'all, you can tell that y'all have put work into. You're very, you're very thoughtful and deliberate about the degrees in a way that you don't see in most lodges. Um, you, you just do things differently within the, you know, within the laws, of course, of the Grand Lodge of Texas. But, but you could tell there's a big difference. And so I'm curious, were these in place already when you came through the degrees? Or is it something that you guys have worked on? And if, if so, I'm curious kind of what really spurred that. You know, I, I'd say both. Uh, when, when I came along here, um, uh, Waco Lodge was, uh, you know, it's 2009 or 2008. Uh, Waco Lodge was uh, a pretty solid balance of uh, social atmosphere and uh, serious degree work. Mm -hmm. um, uh, some of the other elements of a lodge, it, 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 it wasn't doing so hot in. Uh, so like, uh, you know, finances or fundraising or uh, community uh, visibility. Uh, but I mean, no lodge is hitting on all cylinders at, at all times. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but, but they were really, they, they've always taken their degrees seriously uh, and sometimes too seriously. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the strive to be word perfect uh uh and and stuff like that but um uh there were also elements that could have been more serious uh you know there was a uh, a varmint call that goes ah! uh i remember them using uh when i came through uh you know from their perspective harmless fun but uh really kind of sucks a lot of the reverence out of uh the initial experience yeah uh and uh, so we definitely don't have anything like that in, going on anymore. Uh, uh, the bend towards uh, more, we've really tried to introduce a more uh, uh, mysterious aura to our degrees, right? So we were always pretty word perfect, uh, but, but now there's, uh, it feels more like you're joining a mystery order. Uh, whether it be uh, the, uh, the lighting or the anteroom feel or uh, the way the brethren uh, dress when you get there, uh, just all kinds of different aspects. Uh, and, and then the little small elements that we add in here and there in different ways. Uh, and they, they've come from all over the place. I think it the, is the small things that make a difference. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I, uh, and, and what we've really tried to do that led to most of the elements we have now is be open to trying new things. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I, since I became a Mason, I've been to lodges in, in every state and a dozen countries. Uh, and it was always, always, always with a very intentional and direct goal of siphoning off whatever I could everywhere I went. Uh, like, oh, I like the way they do that. Or uh, that was kind of cool. I wonder if we can implement it somehow and I'd bring it back here. And most of the stuff we tried failed miserably. 
but uh, some of it stuck. And, and but that's and part of it, right? Part. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and uh, generally, we we uh, developed a pretty unique experience that still, as you said, is is within the the guidelines. So. I know that you have traveled pretty extensively outside because we're we you and I are both in the jurisdiction of uh, Texas. What things have you seen outside our jurisdiction that, for whatever reason, either it goes against like the Grand Lodge laws here or it just was never implemented? What things have you seen elsewhere that you really wish you could bring back to Texas? Uh, hmm, stuff that I wish I could that I, that I have not been able to. Uh, Let's see. Uh, in a lot of jurisdictions, brethren drink together. Uh, I've I've been in jurisdictions where uh, uh, alcohol is actually used in, in the initiation ceremonies. Uh, you know, anciently, uh, in the 1700s, uh, maybe even 1600s, some of those early degrees, the obligation was actually sealed by the worshipful master and the candidate uh having a, a, a drink together Interesting. Uh, you know, almost kind of like a toast uh uh but 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 a very serious moment uh, of uh sharing a drink to seal the obligation um uh, and uh, I've, I've seen modern examples of that same sort of thing uh not necessarily that although i think there is a way in which it, it could that could work uh really even just the minimum of uh being able to have a drink together at lodge when we want to uh you know uh i'm not a huge drinker myself uh i i've always been a, a social drinker i'll have a drink uh or two when i'm hanging out with uh friends and i feel like that's most people uh and so here we are as an organization based on building friendships and we have forbidden ourselves from doing one of the things that is uh, often uh, included in hanging out with your friends. Uh, and, uh, you know, as an example of a place where it's, it's, still, it's still done and uh, not banned, uh, of all places, Utah. Uh, the Grand Lodge. Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you look out there, the, you'll, you can find some posts or articles of one of the trips I went to Utah, uh, where me and uh, two of the brothers there were holding up a beers in front of the banner of the Grand Lodge of Utah. We're inside the Grand Lodge building. Where uh, it's it was right after a, a stated meeting of the oldest lodge in the uh, jurisdiction, and uh, the standard there was uh, or is you have your meeting, and um, then you repair to your refreshment room, your kit, uh, dining area, and some kind of education seminar is held in the dining area while everybody eats and has a beer. Uh, wow. It's so there's small, a few good things it's, going it, on right there. You know, the it's a social lubricant. It really is. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I can tell you just here in my lodge, but in other lodges I visited in Texas, there tends to be a pretty stiff environment, uh, which, which, comes from a good place it comes from people taking their masonry seriously that's what we, we want that mm -hmm. uh but uh there should you should still be able to have fun and uh, uh that's one element that can help cultivate uh an, an environment that is fun uh, 
uh, festive boards have started to get pretty popular here. And, and I'll be honest, I expect to see uh, relatively soon uh, our jurisdiction make a decision to uh, allow alcohol uh, in a reasonable way. Uh, so, yeah, you know, you bring that up and, and so there was a real popular Netflix series not too long ago. Uh, I think it was inside the Freemasons. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever watched that or not. Mm-hmm. But That's, it was is that the one where they had the boxing tournament? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, I tried to talk some guys into doing that, but <laughs> just didn't fly right. No, nah, we weren't going for it. <laughs> but the thing that really stuck with me, and I shared something separate to uh, one of the one of the Facebook groups you and I, well, we were on it. I, I'm not on it right now, but uh, the uh, it was um, this this idea of having this formal dinner, like this festive board, and and you know you have the toast and everything. And even just watching it on that on that show, you know, you could really see the camaraderie, you know, everyone just coming together. It's a common shared experience. You know, they're not drinking to get plastered or anything. It's, it's like you say, it's a social lubricant. And mm-hmm. I think that's that's beautiful. The, the toasting and, and, and having a nice meal and, you know, even better if you can fit some education in there. That mm-hmm. sounds that sounds to me, that sounds fantastic. That sounds amazing. And camaraderie is the perfect word for it. Camaraderie. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Good, good, good call there. That's that's exactly what it cultivates. Another thing I'd I'd, I'd really like to see brought uh, into Texas uh, is something that we we have in a very minimal form that I'd like to see expanded. Uh, it's very, very, very powerful to sit in a lodge room, and I've I've I've, I've been to jurisdictions all over the Western Hemisphere that do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, to sit in a lodge room with a group of men, look at that altar, and see multiple books of faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's a, it's a physical present reminder to everyone in the room, uh, uh, that, uh, we all agree there is a higher power. We don't all necessarily follow the exact same tradition yet. Here we are calling each other brother and participating in charity projects together and education seminars and learning from each other and, and doing things together in a world that I, I feel increasingly is telling us uh, that you can't do that, that you can't uh, enter communion with uh, people of different faiths or political views or whatever it is. Uh, so I, when, when I see it, look at an altar and I see multiple books of faith, you know, just right here, uh, you've got a, 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 a Bible, a Quran, a, a a Norse mythology book, uh, a Bhagavad Gita. Uh, this that this this whole shelf is different. Uh, wow, is are books from different faiths, uh, and uh, of course in Texas we we do use those when a brother is being initiated, uh, he can use a different book of faith for the ceremony. But then our our standards call for after that point, reverting right back to only the Bible being on the altar. And uh, I, I think it's um, uh, disappointing uh, uh, to uh, be open-minded enough to let a, a person take their obligation with, with any book of faith, but not open-minded enough to let them keep that book of faith on the altar when they're in a meeting. Uh, that that seems uh, kind of out of sync with what we, what, what we say as a jurisdiction, you know, going back to what you're saying, you know, we let anybody from different faiths join, you know, and even our, even our prayers are supposed to be 
you know, fairly, fairly uh, in general, right? You know, right. That, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's how I written you, great, great architect. You know, anyone can anyone can and can interpret that as their own as their own faith. But like what you're saying, especially now when when you you really, the world would have you believe that you can't have a different opinion than somebody about anything without having to you know be at each other's throats, and so that even becomes more and more powerful as time goes by. It seems like to to be able to to acknowledge other faiths and have those books in your lodge room you know and recognize that there are people with different beliefs in yours but that does not mean well we're all brothers either way regardless regardless of what our our own personal beliefs are yeah absolutely those wow. are those are the two big ones that spring to mind when people ask me about but honestly i i could i could go I could write a whole book about things I'd like to see introduced here. Now, at the same time, to be fair, and to make sure I don't get pitchforks uh, brought against me, there are a lot of things about Texas masonry that I enjoy sharing in other jurisdictions uh, uh, and and have heard them have success implementing. So, oh yeah, uh, and you know, pros and cons to doing masonry any which way. Thank God the tradition is that every jurisdiction gets to decide. Uh, but it's it's sure uh, damaging when a jurisdiction gets into its own bubble and uh, the membership forgets that anything else exists. Yeah. Well, you know, like what you said, Grand, Grand Lodge Texas has done, we do some things that I really, I really, I really like. And like you said, I like, I like bragging because some jurisdictions don't require you to do a lot of memorization and things like, Oh, that's all you had to memorize. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's cute. You know, things like that, you know, the Prince Hall recognition, I think that's, that's, that's huge. That's significant. I'm very proud of that. And so I'm not, I'm saying boat as you, I'm not, I'm not saying that Grand Lodge of Texas is, you know, I'm just, I'm just suggesting, you know, we all can learn from one another. So I have not right. personally traveled outside. Always get better. Yeah, absolutely. You can always improve. Um, so I want to touch on something. Well, I don't want to, I don't run out of time either. I want to ask you, if we have time, I have something I want to ask you, but, uh, Something very interesting happened back in January of this year. We had our Grand Lodge session, and we had a vacancy for the Grand Secretary, and you ran. And so I, I'm interested in kind of discussing what, what drove you to, to want to throw your, 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 your name in the ring, you know, your and uh, your name in the hat or whatever the, whatever the term is. And, you know, I just, I just kind of want to some insight on your perspective through that process. Sure. Uh, uh, so uh, I, the job of the grand secretary in Texas is, is, is a twofold job as it is currently organized. Uh, the, the grand secretary is charged with all the usual duties of a grand secretary for the jurisdiction. Uh, and he's also charged with being the uh, primary uh uh, manager of the Grand Lodge Library and Museum. Uh, so uh, uh, my, you know, I, I have a construction business. Uh, I've owned other businesses. Uh, my livelihood uh, is based on things other than my education, but my education uh, is in the area of history and museums. Uh, I've got two bachelor's degrees, one in history, uh, one in great texts, and uh, master's in uh, museum administration. Hmm. Uh, so by chance, I uh, 
I am in some ways uniquely tooled for the job, as well as being a local, right? Our Grand Lodge is, is in Waco, uh, where my family's been for seven generations. And uh, uh, I've worked with other museums in Waco, and I've uh, served on the County Historical Commission. Uh, so, so I have uh, experience locally with getting organizations uh, especially museum or history oriented ones uh, going in a positive direction. Mm -hmm. uh, so just generally, that's, that's why there was an interest there. Uh, I felt like I, I could make a, uh, a positive difference. Uh, building up to that, that moment in January, uh, didn't see it coming. Uh, I actually expected uh, that I would be making myself available this year or next year uh, after uh, several years of conversations with our uh, uh, dear departed uh, brother, past Grand Secretary, past Grand Master Orville O'Neill, uh, who, uh, uh, whose health suddenly declined and that's what caused that position to be open in January. Mm -hmm. uh, as that happened, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the Grand Master at the time was, was stuck in a pretty difficult situation himself. Uh, he, he had to figure out a solution. He came up with a solution. Uh, I was contacted by people who they didn't understand the solution, uh, which is hard to do uh, if you're not already within uh, a room or an organization. Uh, and uh, they encouraged me to make myself available, so I did. Uh, you know, it, it, you say I ran, it, 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 it was a week's notice, uh, so there really wasn't any... Uh, uh, running, so to speak, or, or anything like that. Uh, of course, that's tricky in our jurisdiction where electioneering uh, is, is, is uh, forbidden and there's lots of debate on what that is and what that isn't. Uh, yeah. Reverting back to what we were talking about earlier, that's probably something else I'd bring to this jurisdiction is uh, a lot of jurisdictions have no rules against anything of that matter. Uh, and I feel like many of our elected officials uh, uh Whoa. Do, so are you that line are you uh, suggesting we should actually know people's qualifications when they're running for important offices in our organization that well, is crazy talk yeah now of <laughs> course of course uh some would say that we do by issuing statements of availability uh but i can also tell you that the uh restrictions on what's allowed to be on a statement of availability are are very uh, uh, particular and uh, uh, so in a sense uh, the ability for the Grand West to make the best decision about any given man for any given job is limited uh, yeah. uh, for but because of rules that had good intentions when they were made uh, but 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 uh, the results have not shown well. I, I, I can give you an example. Uh, uh, the Grand Secretary uh, uh, told me earlier this year that um, the the current one or the uh, the previous was it was it oral? Uh, well, I guess it wasn't oral because he got sick that uh, last year. Uh, Grand Secretary Laser uh, explained to me that uh, it had it, at least two Grand Lodge officers he was aware of. Uh, had learned about uh, uh, a state policy that nonprofits are 
expected to uh, make uh, certain information available to the public when requested, right? And this is something you see a lot with uh, like uh, the media getting information about people or stuff like that, right, in the news. Uh, ultimately, what, the, what this meant, the way he explained it to me was that uh, at least two officials, I, I, didn't, I don't know how many more, uh, uh, had legally uh, request, requested the Grand Lodge to give them the attendance records for uh, recent Grand Lodge sessions. Um, and uh, what that means is they were able to look and see this is how many past masters lodges send on average each year. Uh, which effectively tells them how many votes each lodge brings to uh, the Grand Lodge each year. And then they were mathematically using that uh, to decide which lodges they would visit over a one, two, or three-year period mm -hmm. before making themselves available for office. Uh, if that's not electioneering, I don't know what is. Uh, so... It's like deciding. That's like running for president, and deciding what state you want to go to based off the, uh, off off the votes you get. Yeah, exactly. And 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 to be clear, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, right? Uh, so if, if there's a guy out there who hears this and realizes that maybe he did it, and 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 he's one of the people that is being talked about, don't take it as an affront. Uh, as far as I understand, you're doing exactly what our rules allow you to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I just think uh, we should get rid of the gray area and be more transparent with our, our, our voting uh, constituency. I agree. I agree hundred uh, percent. So moving along, I want to talk about, you have a, you have a podcast and I, I believe you also, you share it to YouTube, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. So why don't you, uh, there we go. Historical light. So I was uh, actually interviewed uh, several months ago, and it's one of the best episodes we've ever had. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, it really was. It really? really was. Yeah, that's cool. That's 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 cool to know. Why don't you? Uh, I'm very curious. Really, kind of what got you started on this journey to create historical light, and really what your goal is for it. Uh, so, um, so I didn't create historical light. Uh, I, I started a journey of being a Masonic historian uh, before I was Mason. Uh, I was uh, on the, uh, I, I was well into uh, the uh, very well-known book, Morals and Dogma. Mm -hmm. uh, at the time I was initiated uh, and uh, uh, that got me interested in reading more Masonry and, and Masonic history. Uh, I am a historian, uh, uh, by by education and by passion uh, and so I started as a Masonic historian focused on Waco Lodge uh, and uh, uh, turned out uh, over 200 biographies about early uh, Waco area Masons. Wow. Uh, uh, most of those are now online, uh, not quite all of them. Uh, and uh, I, at, once I felt com or even near complete with that project, I started expanding and, and researching and, and writing about other uh, Masonic history topics. Uh, it was actually so, a uh, Masonic student of mine, a Masonic pupil, uh, John Michael Gillespie, 
who introduced me to Alex Powers. That was the creator of the Historical Light uh, uh, Project. Uh, he's, a, he's a brother from up in Kansas where I have family. Uh, my, my dad's family's been in uh, Lawrence, Kansas since the uh, 1800s. And uh, since I was already making annual trips there, it made sense for us to kind of link up. Uh, we did. He had me as a guest on the show. I honestly don't remember how many times before he just asked me to uh, uh, start co-hosting. So I've been doing that a couple of years now. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it is a project, right? So there's a podcast, there's a YouTube show. Uh, but we, the, the real goal is to uh, encourage Masons to uh, do uh, history work themselves uh, at their lodges, uh, uh, help give them tools to, uh, to do that in a, in a, as close to possible academic way. Uh, and, um, and then, uh, help them share it. And, uh, uh then, uh, uh, yeah, uh, to preserve, uh, and share history. Very cool. Very cool. So um, for those of you that don't follow Historical Light, you can look on your, uh, do a search on your podcast or just go to YouTube and subscribe. It is very informative. Uh, Brother Powers and Brother uh, Marshall are very informed. They have some really good guests come on, excluding myself, but it's all great content. No, definitely check it out. It was great. So (laughs) uh, the main topic of the episode with you was, uh, the the very serious uh, generational tension in Freemasonry today, uh, and uh, uh, both strengths and weaknesses of both of the generations were really. I mean, we, uh, you, me, and and Alex uh, really ex- explored a lot of that, and um, you know, I, I it sounds self serving, but I wish everybody would go watch or listen to it because. Uh, we hash some stuff out there that really needs to be hashed out all over the fraternity. Uh, Did y'all get any flack off that at all? Cause I thought I might, but I, I never heard anything about it. Uh, no, I don't think so. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, well, when you start, when you start kind of uh, deep diving like that, some people sometimes get a little, yeah, a little, little upset about it, but that's, I, that's good. I, I remember wondering if we would, but no, it's even better than right. That's right. And no one's no one's coming out to get us. Um, I want to ask you a question, and this is more from your historical perspective. And this is we're not gonna we're obviously not gonna get to the the answer here because it's been something we've been diving in as a as an organization for a long time. But I, I'm curious kind of your perspective because you're very well read, and I have recently uh been reading the builders um Hmm. wow by uh i think it was newton yeah and uh joseph newton and so i'm kind of curious you know he has his own perspective on the origins of a fraternity you know going back from you know the the mystery schools and actual uh operative masons but i'm curious really where you think maybe if that is that correct or do you think it came from something else uh if 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 what is correct exactly uh, the origins of the operative, fraternity, from, yeah, like operative or, or just yeah. guilds in general, or 
Uh, I think uh, there, there's undeniably evidence that there was a transition of operative to speculative masonry, right? You get, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the term accepted uh, really developed out of uh, uh, the first instances of operative lodges accepting speculative masons into uh, their midst. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so that's, that's there, without a doubt. I think maybe the biggest mistake I encountered in uh, Masonic histories, if you will, is the, uh, the tunnel vision uh, that Masons or people writing about Masonic history tend to have uh, in trying to pinpoint the origin of the craft. Mm -hmm. uh, there aren't many things in history that you can pick one moment or one uh, uh, source from which an entire uh, tradition emerged. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, so uh, uh, I, I think the, the operative speculative uh, origin story is it, it, absolutely, it's, it's true, but it's not, it's not the only origin. And, and, and even within just to give an idea of, of, of how much more nuanced our history needs to get uh, and our understanding of it needs to get, uh, it, 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 it can't even be pinpointed to one version of operative masonry that was the origin. Uh, you know, across Europe, there were different kinds of uh, Masonic lodges, guilds and incorporations, uh, and they all had their own, you know, just like today with speculative lodges, they all had their own flavor, they all had their own uh, practices and expectations, and uh, you can find stuff that's in Freemasonry today across all of them. Uh, so uh, definitely the, the uh, England and, and, and Scotland uh, lodges played an important role, uh, but there were others. And, uh, uh, you know, so yes, accurate, but also not alone, yeah. uh, and and th that that's what we need to fix. We need to we need to really cultivate the idea uh, that we are um, uh, a tradition of borrowing from traditions, uh -huh. uh, and and that is the case with the operative to speculative transition. But it's also the case with other uh, hermetically inclined traditions, other esoteric traditions, other. Uh, other religious traditions, right? We're not, we're, Freemasonry is not a religion, but it has a religious component. It always has. Yeah. And, and uh, 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 we're, we're, we're kidding ourselves often with our histories when we don't leave room for us uh, developing some of our practices from the religious backgrounds that the early brothers were, were carrying into the lodges. Uh, so, um, that's that's interesting to me because you know the how do I want to word this and you might you might not agree with me on this but I definitely agree that there is that that there's evidence of that movement away from operative to speculative masonry but then again if you look at the actual degrees themselves and, and not, not just the words, but the patterns, you know, that especially like in the third degree and things, 
you see these same patterns. There's evidence of that in older mystery schools. Oh yeah. The world. And so yeah. I think there's an inclination, particularly among uh, brothers that aren't really esoterically minded, mm-hmm. just have, don't have interest in it. And so they try to just kind of, you know, shove it all, shove it all to all the origin. Like, Hey, we just came from stone builders, you know? So, you know, it's a, it's a move, it's a more uh, blue collar history. And so that kind of, that kind of fits into that, that narrative that they want the fraternity to fall into. Yeah. Uh, so that, yeah, you hit on a couple of things there that really get my juices flowing. So uh, <laughs> number one, uh, no, I, I 100% agree. Number two, uh, even the assumption that the operative Masons were a uh, simple blue collar brickling was the only thing they knew uh, tradition is bogus. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's tons of evidence of uh, cultural memories of pagan practices among stonemasons in the medieval era. Uh, and uh, you, you see that in the uh, uh, apotropic uh, symbols in some of their work uh, that look uh, fascinating to a mason, uh, points within circles and squares and compasses and things like that, mm-hmm. uh, way before anything we have on, on uh, speculative Freemasonry uh, being done by uh, operative masons. Uh, but also, like you said, uh, you see obvious... Uh, things that were obviously inherited from other uh, mystery orders and traditions. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of that in there. There's alchemy in there. Uh, Anyone who says alchemy did not inform our degrees uh, is either lying or just has not spent the time to explore the possibility. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because uh, as you said, I guess you didn't mention alchemy specifically, but uh, as an example of the other mystery orders that influenced our early leaders and, and degree systems, it's it's blatant. There's yeah. there's no denying that it's there. Even with a even with a very superficial, because I'm not deep in alchemy, but with a very superficial understanding of alchemy, you know, with a with a superficial purpose of 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 you know turning lead to gold, which you could say also applies to the, the alchemist himself, you know, the, the spirit or, you know, you know, transfer the transformative uh, process. That's, that's, we take good men and make them better. I mean, it's right there in the slogan. I mean, it's right there, you know, and then anyone that experienced the degrees and, and understands like the fundamental purpose or idea behind alchemy, you know, I believe there was a, there was a speculative alchemy as well as the operational, you know, just we have in Freemasonry and it's the same idea. You know, taking something, you know, taking a, something very base and turning it into something more precious. Yep. Absolutely. Very cool. Very cool. Well, uh, that rounds up all the, all the question I had and I want to be, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, mindful of your time and everything. Do you have anything you want to add or just, uh, anything you want to toss out? Uh, hmm. Not really. Thanks for having me on. I do have a, a I've got a new, uh, Masonic. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to call it anything that minimizes what it is. So I'm just going to get it and show it to you. You always have something new to show. Well, that's the idea, right? <laughs> it's a. 
uh, actually made of marble uh, ashlar. Wow. And you see this, the uh, perfect ashlar emerging from the rough ashlar. Uh, this is made by uh, brother Tom McGuire down at Fossil Bluff. He's a Texas mason. Uh, hard to really show the quality of this thing on there. That um, looks very cool. I think I've seen pictures of that online somewhere. Yeah, man. This, this thing is gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, Talk about the transformative uh, process right there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> uh, uh, so there, there's a uh, physical item. Uh, I like to show something uh, every time uh, I do something like this. Uh, other than that, um, you know, I, I will uh, say, uh, are you, are you, you're in the Hillsboro area? Is that right? Yes, sir. So um, uh, the father of Hill County uh, was uh, uh, Josephus Steiner, and he was a member of Waco Lodge. And in the 1850s, uh, his commanding officer at Fort Graham out there uh, was uh, Ripley Arnold, uh, who's most remembered for being the founder of Fort Worth. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, all accounts seem to agree that uh, Officer Arnold, uh, there with the U.S. Army at Fort Graham, was selling uh, army-issued horses that were supposed to be for his men, pocketing the money, then requesting more horses, and then just repeating this process. Mm -hmm. uh, and his uh, his officer uh, beneath him, uh, Josephus Murray, uh, Josephus Steiner of uh, Waco Lodge, didn't like it, uh, so he complained about it. Uh, ultimately, it led to a real Wild West duel, and uh, Ripley Arnold died. So uh, the unfortunate uh, result was that uh, Brother Steiner was guilty of killing his co his own commanding officer, which is a big no-no, I mm -hmm. hear, in the Army. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they found and, that uh, one. Stuff. Uh, so uh, what happened then... Uh, is that the United States Army decided to court-martial the guy, and uh, they sent an arresting officer up there to your area uh, who managed to arrest him, but then for some reason on the way through Waco, uh, a mob of men uh, forced the arresting officer to release uh, Brother Steiner, <laughs> uh, and this proceeded to happen multiple times with the arresting officer returning to Austin uh, the uh, de facto headquarters for the army in Texas at that time uh, and uh, getting in trouble for failing to make the arrest until finally the army said, we can't spend any more money or effort on this and just pardon the guy. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, wouldn't you know that uh, in our minutes, uh, it is very clearly uh, explained uh, why the mob was so inspired to release the poor brother. Uh, and uh, he ultimately got away with murdering the founder of Fort Worth. Uh, who I believe was a, I know he was a Mason. I think he may have been a, a member of Fort Worth 148. Uh, so on the offhand chance that a member of Fort Worth 148 uh, li listens to or watches this, I just told that whole story so that I could remind you a member of Waco Lodge got away with killing one of your members. <laughs> I know some guys over at 148. I think I'll send it to them. <laughs> I've, been, I've been teasing them with this story for almost a decade now. Man, that's hilarious. 
Yeah, that's that's uh so that's just an example. I mean, I love history and I I don't even know how you go about putting it all together. I mean, I I've cuz we got so much history. You need to come down to Hillsboro one day cuz we have just so much stuff and we have records from lodges that merged with us like in the early 1900s. Oh, that's good. I don't even know. I don't even know what to do with it, you know. And it's it's just so interesting. I, I don't even know where to start. So I've actually got a program that I do uh, uh, literally right above the camera that you're looking at me through right now uh, is uh, a, a portable scanner that I use mm-hmm. uh, for, for lodges minutes. Uh, and uh, I've done it for Cedar Hill Lodge in Dallas. I've done it for a few other lodges. Uh, getting those suckers digitized uh, is, 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 should be a priority, priority of every lodge. We're doing it in Kansas. Uh, I mentioned being historical light, but also uh, I'm uh, with the Kansas Lodge of Research, the, mm-hmm. the deputy director, and we've got a project now where we're using a, a similar scanner to do the same thing with lodges there. Uh, and uh, I make mine available to lodges here uh, any way that we want to do it. So uh, if, if your lodge would be willing to let me... Uh, save them uh, on a database. Cool. If not, uh, we'll, we'll save them some way that your lodge can have them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the cool thing about this scanner is, uh, man, I, I can do a 500 page minute book uh, in about five to 10 minutes. And uh, then it's instantly uh, searchable. Wow. So uh, you want to know what brother McKinley did in, uh during his Masonic career, once you get your minutes scanned, all you got to do is type in the word McKinley. And anytime your minutes mentions him for that entire time span, it brings them, it populates all of them. Wow. Uh, so it actually so it, recognizes the handwriting. Absolutely. That is, uh, now, not all handwriting, right? Yeah, some, uh, is, some is probably wouldn't recognize my signature anywhere. Yeah. Uh, if it's decent handwriting, it, it, it reads it uh, just fine. Yeah. Uh, if it's typed, it's perfect. Uh, and uh, it also even automatically translates, not that you'd have any in a different language, but uh, I, I have uh, uh, used this with a, with a couple of uh, uh, non-English speaking lodges uh, to do, do a similar thing, uh, which those aren't that far, right? Uh, here in Central Texas, we tend to uh, think that, well, you're going to have to go halfway around the world to get masonry in another language, but yeah. you can literally drive eight hours west or east and you're going to be getting a different language, it's obviously Spanish in Mexico and uh New Orleans has a uh, 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 traditionally German-speaking lodge, Italian-speaking lodge, French-speaking lodge, Spanish-speaking lodge. Wow. Uh, so um, it's been pretty cool to work with some of those and, and, and get them translated. Man, that is, that is really awesome. That is, yeah, we'll have to have a conversation about that after this or something. Because, yeah. I mean, the, the, and my, our lodge is not unique in that we have minute books that are in bad shape and they're not going to last another 10 or 20 years you know they right. and if you want to preserve that history you 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 need to do something yeah so yeah it's it's yeah. it's important to me and i know it's important to other people as well so anyway so with that said i'm going to go ahead and uh, uh just wrap this up uh if you want to hang around for a minute after after we're done recording just uh just a chat but uh sure. Thanks. Thank you again, Robert. I, like I said, I was really looking forward to this uh, interview and it did not disappoint. I really enjoyed this conversation. It is always a pleasure uh, being able to talk with you. Uh, thank you again, my brother. Yeah. Thanks for having me.